you can now hear Movie Heaven, Movie Hell on Stitcher. Stitcher is radio on demand. Listen anytime, anywhere. Stitcher is an award-winning free app that lets you listen to all your favorite shows, plus discover from 20,000 news, entertainment, and sports shows. You can also create your own custom playlists. Stitcher is available on iOS, Android, Nook, iPad, and in over 4 million car dashboards. It's on demand and it's on the go. No downloading, no syncing, no wasted memory. You can stream your favorite podcasts from Stitcher. Don't have Stitcher? Download it free today at stitcher.com or in the App Store. And please leave us a review and rating on Stitcher. Thank you. Welcome to Movie Heaven, Movie Hell with me, Simon Aiken, and... And I'm Keith Isles, and we're both independent filmmakers that like to talk about and critique other directors' work. But today, for this podcast extra, we have a very special guest. Don't we, Simon? We do, indeed. (laughs) (laughs) See, we're we're off to a great start already. Brilliant, brilliant. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, we do. We have uh, Jamie Benning with us, um, who you may know as the uh, creator of the filmumentaries like um, Building Empires and uh, Star Wars Begins, Raiding the Lost Ark and Inside Jaws. So uh, thank you very much, uh, Jamie, for uh, joining us. Well, thank you for inviting me. Yeah, always. We're really pleased to have you. I have to say a big fan of your work. have actually watched all the film you mentioned. So, you know, the original right. Star Wars trilogy, mm-hmm. Raiders and, and Jaws, which for me personally are among some of my favorite films of all time. So uh, mm-hmm. so thank you for doing this and, 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 and thank you for joining us. Um, do you want to give us a little bit of uh, background perhaps on, uh, you, you know, your experiences with these films and what prompted you to put yourself through this painstaking uh, <laughs> job of putting these things together? Yeah, well, back in, when was it, 2006, 2005, 2006, I sort of decided that I was a bit fed up with these kind of lacklustre um, DVD extras where they'd get, you know, maybe two cast or crew members to chat for two hours on an audio commentary or they'd, you know, bring out some old documentaries that um, existed, you know, 20, 30 years ago. And um, I'd seen um, the Empire of Dreams documentary on the 2004 DVD release of the Star Wars trilogy, and I thought there's such there's some amazing clips in there, things we'd never seen before, you know, alternate takes and deleted scenes and loads of stuff with clapperboards and people goofing about on set. And I thought I'm sure there must be a compelling way to put this all together, not only in um, you know drawing from contemporary documentaries, but drawing from all that sort of old featurette stuff, interviews on TV and radio, all stuff that I'd sort of been inadvertently really collecting over the years. And um, I set about doing Building Empire, partly because I wanted to learn Final Cut Pro, which I was going to use to edit it. (laughs) I wanted a project that I could get my teeth into. But also because I knew that Empire was going to be difficult. I hadn't seen much material about Empire. There's loads about Star Wars. There's loads about Jedi at the time. But there was one special about um, the making of 
Empire Strikes Back and it was really just about the effects. Um, so I set about um, finding like-minded individuals who'd been collecting video clips in their particular region of the world and we began swapping things and it became apparent that um, you know, each one of these things I do is a feasibility project really at first to see if it's feasible to actually make the thing and it soon became apparent, apparent that um, it was possible so I just went about trying to make the a kind of um, commentary squared, I guess. <laughs> no, absolutely. Um, no, I, I mean, I remember I saw the uh, the, the Star Wars ones uh, a few years back, and mm. um, it was around the time that uh, Fox released the Star Wars saga on Blu-ray. And I remember mm. thinking to myself at the time that this is actually better than the extras that are on the Blu-ray, which I thought, you know, I was like, why couldn't they have put this on the Blu-ray? This is fantastic. <laughs> well, there was, there was a moment, you know, there because I, I released um, Star Wars Begins, I think, before, yeah, it was before the Blu-ray release. Um, and there was a point where um, I'd heard on the grapevine from somebody at Industrial Light and Magic that a load of people there had been watching Star Wars Begins, and one of them was heard saying we've got to up our game for this Blu-ray release. Um, so the dream was there for a moment or two, you know, will, will I get a phone call or a knock on the door asking me to be involved? But sadly, no. But the great thing about it is, you know, my stuff sits alongside with the official, alongside the official releases. So the Blu-ray has got a whole bunch of things with the props and um, loads of nice photographs and some of the old featurettes and deleted scenes. But Star Wars Begins, you know, still remains the only place you can see the full Jabba the Hutt deleted scene from Star Wars, for instance. Luke's would never officially released that in one piece. Um, so it, it's a sort of an accompaniment to what has been released. How did you find that uh, Jabba the Hutt scene? Well, <laughs> there were clips of it from a CD-ROM that was released by Lucasfilm called Behind the Magic, which was at the time pre-internet, um, or certainly pre-big internet, um, it had an encyclopedia of all things Star Wars, including some deleted scenes. And in it, it had a couple of little snippets of this scene um, because it was released around the time of the special edition releases in 97. And there was also clips of it shown on TV at the time, on movie shows. There was also some clips of it in From Star Wars to Jedi, The Making of a Saga, which was released oh, that's after... Right films had come out there was just a little snippet with mark hamill narrating about it but there was always elements of it missing um nobody had shown it in its entirety and then one day when i was putting stars begins together and it took me nearly four years to do so um i got contacted from a guy who knew another guy who'd inadvertently somehow recorded the last missing piece off of some obscure cable channel as the credits were rolling. <laughs> so the last 10 or 15 seconds of that scene, there are credits over the top of it, but to this day, we think it's the only time that was broadcast, and maybe accidentally. We don't know how it got in the hands of that particular broadcaster. I don't even think the guy knows what show it was from. It happened to be on a tape that he was recording something else. Um, so we did a bit of an exchange with some clips that I had that he didn't have, and there it was. There was that last piece of the puzzle. So I think the whole scene was made up of maybe around a dozen different sources just for this minute and a half or whatever it is of of fairly pointless scene, I have to say, because it's all repeated um, with the Greedo scene, so um, uh, which happens beforehand. But, um, you know, certainly uh, an interesting 
historical artifact, I guess. And uh, yeah, it still remains the only place you can see it. So that's pretty cool. Yeah, absolutely. I, I also watched the uh, Blast It Bigs Where Are You um, mm. little featurette you had. And again, uh, a lot of that footage um, has been sort of knocking around. Obviously, it's on the Blu-rays now, but it was knocking around sort of in black and white. But, um, mm -hmm. you know, not the full colour stuff like like you, you put in, in that. This stuff just keeps appearing, you know. I, I got given that by a guy who runs a, a Facebook page and um, it had been dug up somewhere and it's got like, you know, time code on it. So it's from a broadcast tape or something um, in an archive. He wouldn't say where it was from. Maybe he would have got into trouble or something. But there, were just, there was just all of this B-roll of that, that scene being shot where Luke and Biggs are together and they're talking about him going off to the academy or joining the rebels and jumping ship. And there are snippets of that in the... Empire of Dreams, but then there are these whole chunks of it here from this what looks like a VHS tape, and he said, "Go for it, you know, use use what you like." And you know, Garrick himself had not seen that stuff um, wow. at all, and it was great for him to sort of relive those memories from what forty years ago. Blimey, I was wondering because um, with uh, Star Wars Begins, um, you have a it's a HD version of the film, isn't it? Well. What I did with Stars Begins is um, I used actually the 2006 um, DVD release of the original film, which is actually just a, what Lucasfilm did was ripped it from the Laserdisc, and I just ah, inverted right. it actually. What I would like to do one day, if I ever get the time and motivation to do so, is use um, an HD version. Um, there's a guy called Harmy who's um, released these... Um, HD versions of the films, yeah. The despecialized, despecialized, yes. exactly. Yeah. So he's taken things like 30, parts from 35 millimeter prints, parts from stills. He's combined it with the Blu-ray with that 2006 release as well, and he's made these kind of hybrid versions. And ideally, I would like to have those as my filmimentary um, sources. But um, you know, I could go on changing these things forever. I kind of should leave them where they are. What I did with Stars Begins, though, is I up-converted it and made the subtitle facts and the graphics uh, in 720p so that it's just a bit more viewable for, for you know, people at home to watch on their laptops and TVs. So when you start uh, to make a filmumentary, do you just do you start with the film or do you just start with what material you, you know, do you do it like you just get the material and then you sort of decide what's going to be a clip from the film, what's going to be like a storyboard or a behind-the-scenes clip? Well, what I tend to do is lay the film down initially, and then when I, I start to gather all the behind-the-scenes clips, storyboards, the map paintings, the photographs, the deleted scenes, the alternate angles, and initially it's just like a very sort of linear puzzle. I just, you know... Oh, this bit's to do with Yoda, this goes there, this bit's to do with Lando, this bit goes there. And then eventually, because there's so much material out there, and a lot of it is in the public domain, you know, it's then picking those interviews and thinking, well, okay, well, he said the same thing in these two interviews, but this one may sound nicer, you know, because what you find is when these people were interviewed, the original cast and crew, they always had the stories they rolled out because the questions are always the same, you know. Um, and you can see that Mark Hamill over time sort of, um, builds a little routine up almost of his stories. Um, maybe there's some embellishment in there as they go. And what it, what I tend to do is then have almost like this three-dimensional puzzle where I've got maybe four different 
different versions of Mark Hamill talking about this one particular scene. And it's about trying to pick out the best parts in terms of maybe the quality, but not necessarily the quality. It might be purely the content. I mean, there are some of my interviews which sound blooming awful, but it's because it it can't be found anywhere else, you know, and it's a real gem, let's say. So, um, yeah, it's this kind of three-dimensional puzzle which I then have to kind of juggle around and... um, I, you know, sometimes I end up with a big gap and I think, oh, you know, I want, to, I want the film to be the narrative with this other underlying story of the interviews and everything. But at the same time, I just don't want to plonk things in there for the sake of it. But every time I've made one of these, something else comes along. Or I do, you know, with Raiders and with Jaws, I did my own interviews. So I was able to direct the people I was talking about to talk about the things where I needed, you know, the things I needed information about. Um, so that's, what's been great about going down that extra venture, um, route is just, you know, interviewing people myself and actually having some genuinely original content, not just content that not many people have heard because I've dug it up from somewhere, but content that people have never heard because these people have never been interviewed before. No, that's awesome. I mean, with, uh, Raiding the Lost Ark, I remember you were looking for the, uh, actor who played Blaylock. Did you did you ever get close to to interviewing him? No, unfortunately, there are certain people who go on the convention circuits and they're relatively easy to get hold of. And then it's a matter of convincing them that your project is done out of goodwill. And because you know, I'm not paying these people for their time. Hmm. But Paul Freeman, who played um, um, Belloc, I, I couldn't get hold of him. Um, I tried through his agent, and I, somebody else gave me an email address that may or may not been his his direct one but unfortunately I didn't get a reply um I think you know maybe if I'd had some studio backing and I'd asked him maybe he would have been willing to chat about it but what I like to do as well is talk to people that you know haven't been interviewed before like Wolf Carlo who played um you know one of the main Nazis with his face melting at the end there of the movie <laughs> he's not included in any of the making of material yet he's got this fantastic voice he's a voiceover artist as well you know he does advertising and video games and i interviewed him in a little coffee shop in north london um with some children shouting in the background (laughs) you can hear on the track but he was just great to talk to because he's just got this wonderful voice you know and i I didn't edit much of his stuff um maybe a few ums and ahs taken out but i could just sit and listen to him all day you know absolutely Uh, one of the things you did on the uh on star wars begins which i particularly liked is um, I'm a really big fan of the uh, Brian Daly Star Wars radio dramas. And mm. um, I like the fact that you, in order to make the Luke, Luke and Biggs fit, uh, you, you know, work without the sound at the time, you took some of the dialogue from the radio drama and inserted that in. I thought that was very clever and imaginative. <laughs> well, thanks. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's just a matter of trying to paint the picture of what the scene might have been like i mean we now know what that scene, that scene with uh, luke and the treadwell and he's sit, he's there with his binoculars and he's looking at the battle above tatooine we now know what that scene looks like because it's on the blu-ray i think it's in partial black and white and partial color at points as well but at that time the only source of that was this 1995 97 cd rom um luckily was able to rip it from there and another guy was clean doing a project of cleaning it up so it looked presentable and then I combined that with the radio drama because again the radio dramas like yourself there um they were a big part of my childhood you know and I've listened to them many times on long road trips and flights and things 
yeah. and it's fairly familiar <laughs> with them. And of course, it's Mark Hamill's voice and it's all of Ben Burt's sound effects and it's all of John Williams' music. So it fits the part, you know. I mean, if I was to go and do Stars Begins now, it wouldn't be as fun, I don't think, because there's so much of it sitting out there now, along with the the J.W. Rinsler book, the e-books that he released with all the extra scenes that he dug up, which is fantastic. But it was more of a, an adventure when I did it back in, well, 2007 to 2011. I'm just wondering, um, have your uh, what has like the film company's uh, reaction been to these filmumentaries? Have you had any sort of like any negativity at all? No, not really. I did get asked at one point to remove um, Returning to Jedi from YouTube because it in included a scene which 20th Century Fox said was on their Blu-ray or something like that. I can't remember what it was. So I just removed everything from YouTube and ended up going to Vimeo. But that, from what I understand, that was an automated uh, mm. detection of copyrighted material. But with that with that, uh, that as the exception, I've had no other contact with any of the companies at all. One of the things I always say, and I say it in every interview that I do, I don't make a single penny from these, never have. Um, I lose money. It's my hobby. You know, nobody makes money on their hobby. Um, and because they're not critical pieces and they're not detrimental to the franchise, I think a lot of big film companies like Lucasfilm and Disney, he says with his fingers crossed, um, <laughs> are willing to allow their fans to embrace what they love about the films. You know, that they are love letters to my favorite films. Um, I do it because I'm passionate about those films and they've been a big part in my life you know played a big part in my life and my childhood and in my adult life you know if it wasn't for Star Wars I wouldn't be working in television now um I wanted to work in film that didn't quite work out so I went to poor man's film which is television <laughs> um but um what, yeah. what do you do what do you do in that area um just out of interest what what, what, what is a, the day job well I I'm a kind of producer stroke director stroke editor in live production stuff. So my my bread and butter work is for Formula One. So I work on the host broadcast and I travel around to the each of the racetracks in the calendar from March to November, maybe miss a couple each year. But I go there and I run the department that does the replays and the highlights and um, the sort of archive management. And um, I do a bit of directing on some of the red button channels and... Um, yeah i've been involved in that for the last 15 years now so that's that's what you know keeps me busy but then in between those times because i'm freelancer i work on football for sky or bt or do cricket or rugby or work on a light entertainment show or something like that but it's all kind of live seat of your pants editing that stuff you know you think wow we just watched that and now they're doing a music montage of it that's <laughs> that's, that's me doing that stuff all right but in an, in an ideal world you'd be directing episode eight would you well, I don't know about directing, but certainly involved <laughs> in it in some way. I've tried, you know, I've written letters to Lucasfilm and to Kathleen Kennedy and to Bad Robot, J.J. Abrams. And um, I know a guy who's best mates with um, Gareth Edwards, who's doing um, Rogue One. So um, I've tried to get in there, but it, honestly, it's like a, it's a big closed shop. <laughs> yeah, tell me about it. I know. Yeah. <laughs> So cool. Um, the, I noticed as well. Uh, I, I mean, w one of the things that sort of struck me. I know you've been doing these filmumentaries a while now, but um, mm. it's kind of interesting that in recent years, um, 
that there's been a lot of these sort of Blu-ray enhanced commentaries. I think uh, they call it yeah. uh, maximum movie mode for, for some yes. types like Sherlock Holmes, Watchmen, Terminator, Salvation and whatever, mm-hmm. um, which is which is, I guess, ca- kind of annoying because it's like your idea and they're doing it. Yeah. Now. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, I, I've actually not not seen any of those, but I have heard several people have said this to me before. And I know that when the Blu-ray of Star Wars was released, they did a commentary track that was made up of archive interviews. And in two or three places on Star Wars, Empire and Jedi, they've put the exact same piece of interview in the exact same place that I did. How bizarre. So it's, a, it's a kind of a fingers up, <laughs> but also yeah. at the same time, I think. I, I have to say, I'm, I'm really surprised nobody snapped you up to do... Um like DVD and Blu-ray extras? Well, we've got, I've got very near, um, I got very close to doing it with Warner Brothers. Um, a couple of years it took for them to eventually say no, but we got very, very close to doing something with Superman and Gremlins. And oh, wow. And Hospital <laughs> Town. And um, yeah, that got, that got very close. I was, basically I was invited to the set of the Hercules movie that Brett Ratner was, was directing at the time. He'd seen Inside Jaws I thought it was amazing and said, we're going to make books, we're going to make documentaries. I've, you know, I've, got, I've got spots on Netflix and I need content and your stuff is great. And here's the contacts to get through to Warner Brothers because I've got a relationship with Warner Brothers. And they said, yeah, we love the idea. Let's do three of them. We put a budget in, we put a um, proposal in everyone said yeah that's great and then there was a re- big reshuffle at warner's oh shit yeah um it all went just disappeared but i am currently talking to another big studio about another big um franchise and um we've actually had the head of the studio say yes in the last couple of days oh excellent but oh, it's subject to the legal department being happy that the costs will not spiral out of control. So we've now got to convince them, because this is the problem. With the film documentaries I've done up until now, of course, I'm drawing from so many different disparate sources, all completely different copyright owners, because I haven't got the access to a film company's archive. Now, if the film company opens their archive to me, the licensing will purely be an internal thing. It's all really yeah. boring admin legal stuff. But if they license to me all of their behind-the-scenes material that they shot that's been released and unreleased over the years, I can make something in the form of a filmumentary that won't have been produced before. And I'm, you know, I'm absolutely bang up for doing that. And we've, we're absolutely on the, the brink <laughs> at the moment. And it's so frustrating. There's just when you think, there's only going to be one more meeting they need another three or four meetings and there's actually a meeting going on right now and i should be hearing in the next couple of hours how it went oh Uh, oh, wow okay well fingers crossed fingers crossed because i I really like your um your attention to detail on these like for example i love the fact that you put in the widescreen bars the the credit of who is speaking and what year it was recorded and things of that nature you know all of that sort of extra information and you know, pop yeah. up well, bits and pieces is really interesting. Well, I mean, you know, for, for people who are real geeks of those films, you yeah. know, it's really well, I, interesting. <laughs> I'm doing it for people like me. I, you know, when I first did Building Empire, I didn't know if there was anybody that wanted to know this stuff. And it turns out a lot of people do. So, and, and, and with regards to putting the years there, I think it sort of contextualizes, you know, oh, this is Mark Hamill in 1976 talking enthusiastically about a film that hasn't been released yet. Oh, and this is Mark Hamill talking in 2010 
when he's a bit jaded by it all and he's had enough of it all, you know. Um, so it puts it into a bit of context. And of course, you know, he's come full circle and he's back in filming as we speak. Well, yeah, it was like in uh, Raiding the Lost Ark where um, you'd have interviews with Harrison Ford and you could hear his voice changing between uh, kind of each sentence he was saying. Yes. <laughs> where, you, where you got him from at the time of filming to, um, I think, was it the... Um, when he appeared on stage with uh, Spielberg at a screening. Yeah. And so his voice was really, really rough and sort of croaky at, at that point. Yeah, I think I remember that was taken from a, a screening they did in L.A., but then there was a piece that wasn't recorded very well, but he told the same story somewhere else, and I was able to find it, and it was, yeah, two very different sort of quality recordings, but relatively close together in terms of time, I think only a year or two apart. But um yeah, I'm always trying to construct something. I'm not trying to falsify anything, you know, and, and construct a sentence from individual words or whatever. But um, I think it can be interesting to hear just how differently people talk about the same thing. And that's what's great about talking to all these different people about this same experience. Everyone's experience is different about this same event, you know. Well, this is one of the things I love about your filmumentaries is the fact that it, it, it does jump around in time, that you do get these... Um, you get the same actor or director talking about their work in different points of time. Mm. So it's not like a, an EPK where everybody's up about it and, you know, trying to sell it. You exactly. know, you, you have also uh, material from like director's commentaries that they've done years later and, and interviews. So it's, it, mm. I, it's, it's, it's always fascinating, very fascinating with, you know, the different um, aspects, the different views, uh, you know, from different time periods. Yeah, and I think, you know, when, when they made making of um, documentaries, they were there as part of the marketing of the movie, of course. You know, oh, I read the script, the script was great, I saw so-and-so was starring in it and I had to work on it and all that. You hear that millions yeah. of times, don't you, on those making ofs. What the making of that I love are things like Lost in the Mancha, you know, or Hearts of Darkness or The Shining, the making of The Shining, because they're very candid, they're very straightforward. I mean, the making of The Shining, there's something like, 400 hours of footage uh, just sitting there in the archive in, in South London and they, there was a longer version of it but um, I think Warner Brothers cut it down because they just wanted it to sort of promote the movie but still it stands up as one of the best behind the scenes um, documentaries I think because you're right there on set you know and you're seeing how it's all playing out all the relationships. Did you see uh, when they they showed it again on Arena and mm. our, um uh, Yentoff actually in, in, um, introduced it, and he was saying the fact that um, that Vivian Kubrick would give him a cut of it, and then Kubrick would come along and give him his own cut of the same making. <laughs> right, of, is that right? Where he, yeah, so where he would take himself out of everything. Right. <laughs> uh, and so Yentoff had to sort of be the mediator and have to sort of, he went with Vivian's cut. Right, okay. Interesting. I'd not heard that actually. Is that more? Is that fairly recently? Was it where they were recording? Um, gosh, I, I think it was back in the two thousands when right, they. Okay. Oh, I know when it was. It was after Kubrick had died. Gotcha. And yep. they did it as a special because okay, the cool. um, the original making of uh, showed back in the eighties when it was uh, being made. Yeah, because I tried to convince um, the Kubrick estate that it would be a good idea to make a film inventory on The Shining because The Shining is another of my you know, favourite movies of all time. But they very directly and very quickly, I think I had a response within an hour saying absolutely no, 
we don't we don't want any contact with you. Um, oh. Please don't contact oh. us again. I think they right. got a bit burnt by Room Two Three Seven and um, them using clips without getting the rights cleared because it was fair use because it was educational and all that kind of stuff. So I think there's t- I mean there's tons of stuff sat in that archive that would be I mean absolute gold to make make a film we mentioned in one of Kubrick's films, but unfortunately. It's just being left there for people to see as a as individual items, not as something that's put together and produced. Um, sadly, so that's a real shame. Um, yeah, that's a real yeah, shame. Yeah, I was gutted by it actually because I thought it, you know, it's all there. It's a, using all of that stuff as an amazing resource, but you know, Kubrick I think likes his films to stand alone as they are, as they were made, which you can understand from an artist's point of view. Um, you know, like Spielberg doesn't like doing his commentaries. Um, doesn't like doing commentaries. He never has done one. Well, he's done two now <laughs> inside <laughs> yours and Raiding the Lost Star. But, um, you know, I've got to respect that decision. Um, and uh, sadly, they thought I was trying to make an unofficial uh, Shining film entry and I got refused entry to the archive and stuff. And it's all a bit sad, really. Oh. Yeah, that is a shame. As um, a big and it would be an absolute gold mine, you know. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, I watched your... Um, I watched your Kevin Pike interviews on Back to the Future um, mm. that, that you had, which are really interesting. I mean, that's obviously another uh, – we, we've already done a podcast on it called the 88-mile-per-hour edition, um, which, uh, you, you know, we're, we're big fans of that. I mean, presumably you'd like to do something for that trilogy, would you, as well, at some point? Definitely. I mean, that that first film, you know, I, I can't think of a film that's more – economically made like every single scene every single line pushes it along and those are things you don't really appreciate as a kid growing up watching these things you don't see that until you're an adult but I still it's still one of those films where there's a world there that you want to exist in you know somehow you feel like you're in that world for those two hours or whatever it is and that film means a lot to me as well and you know I was able to speak to Kevin about his work on inside uh, sorry on Jaws for inside Jaws and then uh, got back in contact with him, kindly gave up some of his time to talk about his work on Back to the Future and just the amount of work that went into that opening scene, you know. And oh, that's what I love about these original films, that kind of problem-solving, real, tangible stuff, you know. Um, I'm not a complete... Um, I'm not complete anti about computer graphics, about CGI, but I do like the original... Um, visual effects and special effects and physical effects of those movies and um not just the effects but the films themselves and how they were made and the stories behind them and back to the future would be an absolute gem i did try and contact universal and they just didn't seem to understand what i was asking because you you speak to somebody in the legal department you don't speak to a creative person um so it's very difficult to elevate it beyond beyond that person to reach the people that really get to make the creative decisions you know it's just um it's just a business maybe if if this thing comes off with this um studio that i'm currently talking to um then people will be a bit more a bit more receptive to these ideas so um fingers crossed really yeah well we certainly hope it does um uh, i mean you say do you do absolutely everything on these or do you have help because obviously you know, just just the contact in the studios and finding the right person and getting past the gatekeepers and you know mm-hmm. all of that stuff alone is you know can be a full time job in itself. Yeah. Um, do do you have anyone helping you with that, or do you tend to 
do everything from the editing through to the negotiations well the, the with the the studio at the moment i'm in sort of cahoots with a uh, uh, another person who lives in la and has had some contact with the studios before and we are you know we've tentatively put a team together of an assistant editor and a producer um, and an exec producer and then we'd have access to you know the people that work at the studio to dig things out of the archive so that's all there but in terms of the ones I've done already um, the majority of it is me I mean I'm doing all of the editing I, I've got a friend who does my posters and some illustrations like the Jabba the Hut or short that I did he uh, my friend Pete um, who runs a company called Electrographica um, he did the illustration of Jabba the Hutt and how he was manipulated inside and everything as a puppet. Um, um, I've got a couple of friends who've done some kind of animations for me. You would have seen the raiding, the Lost Art, the comic strip um, that was uh -huh. animated to kind of, you know, illustrate a little bit further what the deleted scenes might have looked like, um, which now since again have been released on on Blu-ray. But um, at the time, that was just that seemed the best way to do it. So you know, I've got collaborators definitely. But um, the sort of driving force behind it is myself. I'm kind of the overseer, the director of it. But if we get down the, down the line with, um, with this studio, we'll definitely be building a, more of a team because also they'll want it done a lot quicker than I would be able to do it on my own. Did you ever want to do the rest of the Indiana Jones trilogy? Yeah, I'd, I, you know, I'd love to. The thing is, these, these feature-length ones take a lot of time and effort. And I've got three kids. Um, ah. I've got one who's 10, one who's seven, and one who's a year and a half. So the one who's a year and a half is obviously the most demanding at the moment. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> on, on both me and my wife. Also on my wife, of course. But um, uh, it's finding the time. So these short ones that I've been doing lately, are I'm able to fit them in and around my work and my personal life. Um, so yeah, I would love to go and do Temple of Doom and Last Crusade. I think there's lots of material out there that's compelling and it's interesting. Um, I wouldn't do it just because, just to finish it off kind of thing, because I think the Raiders one kind of stands alone as well, as as the film does. Um, but yeah, God, my, the list is as long as my arm, you know. <laughs> there's Terminator, loads, are there? Terminator oh. 2, Gremlins, Superman, you know, Goonies. Yeah. Brilliant. Oh, you've answered one of my questions. I was going to ask mm. you what other films. I'm curious, would you, would you do this for any TV shows? Well, do you know what? I did, I did think about this a little while ago. I, I ended up having a little experiment. I was asked by a guy who was an agent um, if, he, if he could be my agent. And I said, sure, let's do it. He, he was going to take 10% or whatever it was and um, try and get me some, some sort of filmumentary-related work. And we ended up having some sort of tentative chats with the BBC, looking at some of their um, archive shows. And I mean, yeah, definitely the format, you know, it's not, it's not restricted just to films. If the, if the people are still there and they're willing to talk or there's material available, then, you know, definitely something can be made. And it's just, for me, I wouldn't just do it on any old thing. It'd have to be something that I'd be interested in, something that I could be convinced that there was a story there to tell, you know. Well, I'd always love to see a Blake Seven uh, film <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, we've done yeah. a podcast. <laughs> you know, I watched my um, my wife watched them all a few years ago with a, a mutual friend of ours who got them on DVD, and he was sort of crashing at her place for for a while, and they ended up watching all all of the Blake 
um, episodes. So I caught a few of them when I was sort of doing and throwing. But um, it's not a series that I was. I was a bit. I was born in '76, so it didn't sort of appear on my radar until later. You know, revisiting it. But um, great, great little series. Of course, mm. you know, hugely inspired by Star Wars. When they saw that, I think the effects seemed <laughs> kind of crap themselves a bit. You know? yeah. Just a little, yeah. I'd love to do one on the um, reimagined Battlestar Galactica. Mm. Because uh, I thought that was a great show. Well, mini series yeah. followed yes. by series, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, it was very good. There's so much, you know, this is the thing for me, you know, particularly with the films like Star Wars and uh, Indiana Jones and those things. I've seen them so many times. Really, Building Empire was me finding another way to enjoy those films, you know, or that film, and then and then those films, Jedi and Star Wars as well. So anything that I think has been kind of wrung dry by just viewing it over and over again, I want to be able to show both myself and fans of it that there's, you know, a new way to appreciate it because of all those stories behind the camera. Yeah, you can give, uh, what is it, Laurent Bozero a, a run for his money. That's, that's the guy oh, who usually does the behind-the-scenes stuff, isn't it, for most of these? guy, <laughs> isn't he? Actually, somebody gave me his email address um, about a year or two ago, and I wrote him this really nice email about how he'd been a huge inspiration and, you know, I loved his stuff. And I know that he he's fairly close with... Um, Roman Polanski and did a big documentary with him and I think he might have been involved in a Polanski box set that um, Brett Ratner's involved with um, that's coming out soon because we talked about maybe doing a Chinatown thing at one point and I did quite a lot of research on that and I ended up doing like a 20 minute reel of this is what it could be and everyone got excited at Warner Brothers and that all kind of went you know down the drain unfortunately but um, but yeah you know but god there's so much out there definitely so much out there to cover yeah absolutely well certainly um you know the uh the 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 five that you've done so far um you, you know have been incredibly entertaining uh and, and informative you know i mean it's the sort of stuff that that wannabe filmmakers out there should be should be studying as well as, as well as just fans of, of of those franchises you know well, I've actually heard from a couple of educators. There's a guy in Canada and another one in the US that were actually using my filmumentaries. One was using them in, in a film lesson. You know, this is what goes on from, you know, from uh, the, the, the bud of an idea all the way through to the production and the final result. And another guy was using them in a class about research, um, about how you can draw from more disparate sources but still create a sort of cohesive narrative. And I was kind of blown away. Those two emails that I got from those two lecturers were the, the sort of most satisfying ones in a way because I learned so much in making them. And the idea that people are learning from them as well is fantastic. It's something I never expected, you know. To me, they were kind of, you know, you might view it and think, oh, that's pretty cool, and then move on to the next thing, you know. Do you get much in the way of fan mail? Just curious. I get. I still. <laughs> I, I tell you, when I released Star Wars Begins, I woke up one morning to two hundred and eighty emails. I think it was, and they were oh, all comments hell. on Vimeo and YouTube. And I think I'd released like an email address of some sort, just so people could get in contact if they want. And you know, when I I get comments and private messages on Vimeo and on Twitter, and um, still to this day. I think, uh, you know, uh, sort of two days doesn't go by without somebody having found them for the first time and telling me how much they love them. And a lot of people with the Star Wars ones have said, you know, 
it's made them realize why they love Star Wars again. They were fed up with the cartoons and the prequels and the games and the comics and everything. But it brought them back to that sort of um, those same thoughts they had when they were a kid when they first saw the films. And that's great. You know, I, it's kind of why I made them. And um, the fact that other people are enjoying them in that regard is, is brilliant. Yeah, the endless changes. <laughs> that's. Yes. I think that's what people are getting fed up with. Is the endless? Yeah. I mean, every release. You know, every time it's been released on uh, DVD, there's been a change. And then, of course, when it was released on Blu-ray, that they, they changed yeah. things. And I was like, oh my god, they keep changing stuff. Yeah, ninety-seven, oh <laughs> four, and yeah, the Blu-ray as well. I mean, you know, George had a lot of um, uh, criticism over the years, but. I think the one thing that would appease fans is just releasing the original in its original form in a nice 2K or 4K scan. You know, there are fans doing it. I was looking at a few of a guy's videos last night who was going and getting an original 35mm print, scanning it, doing, inf doing an infrared scan on it so that he could eliminate the dirt from that print. And he's then going in and he's eliminating the dirt piece by piece that's on the plates of the original um, effects plates. And wow. some of the stuff he's coming up with, I mean, you know that scene in Tatooine when the land speeder goes past and there's like Vaseline smeared under the, uh, beneath it to make it look like it's hovering. He's gone in and, and kind of brought that whole shot back to life and it looks better than the Blu-ray. So there are fans out there able to do this stuff. But, wow, uh, a labour of love, it, yeah. yeah. I mean, it's it's yeah. surely surely now Dis uh, Disney owns it. It's only going to be a matter of time before they do that and uh, you know cash in on it big time because we all know. I mean, I know for one, I'd buy a, a copy of the original trilogy in its original, you know, theatrical versions uh, in a heartbeat. I know I would. <laughs> what I find frustrating about it is all those people that worked on that movie, you know, the original effects guys that won the Oscars for it. Where's their work now? You know, why, why have we decided that it's okay just to plaster over the top of that? All right, fair enough. Carry on making your changes, but show us the original versions. You, you know, you look at the release of Blade Runner on Blu-ray. You've got the work print. You've got the international. You've got the American. You've got the director's cut, and you've got the final cut. All on. And there. you've got the original theatrical version with the voiceover yeah which exactly. which most people hate but it's it's there for those people who do like it yeah, yeah. And, yeah. and that's film history right there this is the film that was released this is how it was adapted this is where it's ended up and you know on that blu-ray set as well some fantastic behind the scenes stuff with dangerous days the documentary you know absolutely brilliant and all those alternate angles and outtakes that um, a guy called charles de lazarica put together for that set i that's all right. I've 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 met Charles. His surname is just really hard to pronounce. So <laughs> yeah. I think you've done it better than I did. <laughs> I've known Charles for a number of years online. You know, we've had a few chats, and he thinks I should make a Blade Runner filmumentary. But oh, that would be material there. And yeah, I'd love. I, mean... I think his, you know, that documentary kind of did it. But um, yeah, he's a great guy, and I, he's somebody whose opinion on film I respect a great deal. But I'm not sure how to pronounce his surname. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's all right. Join the club. That that set is absolutely fantastic. The one they did on Blade Runner, and like you said, it's great that you've got all the versions there. It's amazing yeah. to have that. I mean, uh, one of the things on the Blu-ray release of of New Hope. Uh, one of the changes that just made me absolutely scream when I when I watched it was um, the the bit where uh, 
the, the Millennium Falcon's just been pulled into the Death Star by the tractor beam, and the mm. stormtroopers go on before the scanning crew comes in, right? And just before they leave, before Han and, and, and Luke move the deck plates and come up, one of the stormtroopers says, there's no one here. And I'm like, why did he add that? Like, we didn't know this, you know? <laughs> it was just yeah, sort of like, there's so many changes in the, <laughs> in the audio mixes. Like, there was a mono audio mix that was different to the stereo, that was different to the surround sound mix and it's different to the blu-ray and the and the it just gets ridiculous you know i think um again fans are finding all of these mixes and putting them available on their versions of the film you know their restorations which is great to have the options but yeah some of the lines just not needed <laughs> i was like why you know it was like um you, you know talk about spell it out when it's yes. obvious yeah. anyway i mean i yeah. understood it as a kid you know <laughs> yeah so. that, was, that was never in any doubt <laughs> I don't actually know about that. Maybe that appeared in the original mix somewhere. I don't know. I'm not, I'm not sure about that particular one. I've kind of given up keeping yeah. track of all this stuff. Yeah, it's it's so many changes. It's just uh, every time there's a new version, there's something different or added, or you know, it's, it's... specialized editions. That's all. Like my daughters the other day, because they'd seen the new mm. Star Wars movie, they kind of got into Star Wars. They wanted to see the originals because they'd never, despite me being their dad, they'd never really watched them. And she said, oh, can we watch Return of the Jedi? And I, I put it on and went straight to the despecialized version because I don't want her to see that rubbish Jabba's band and the crappy, <laughs> <laughs> original crappy Ewok song and the original crappy Jabba band, you know. Um, yeah, who cares if the Ewoks blink? The rest of it's bad, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, I mean, what makes me laugh is that when they came out in 97, we I, I remember there was a, a massive resurgence in the films. And mm. um, I remember the excitement of, you know, because I had seen them originally at the cinema when they first came out. But to see them again, sort of as sort of a young adult, I was like, you know, it was just... And and with new stuff, it was like, oh, new stuff. Yeah, <laughs> you know? I think it was quite exciting at the time. I, mean, I remember going to see them, you know, and taking my friends on. You know, this is those films that we loved as kids. And But it was, what was interesting about some of this stuff I was looking at last night about this guy who's restoring it, I think his name was Mike Verto. You should look him up on Vimeo and some of his amazing work. He says that all of those shots in, in the first Star Wars film that were replaced, like the arrival at Tatooine and the X-Wings leaving the Yavin base and all that that were redone, they are all the shots that look the most terrible in the original film because the plates were covered in dirt or the colours were wrong or there were scratches or, you know, you could see the, um, like a stand underneath a model or whatever. They weren't that the shots themselves were composed badly. They were just put together in a rush maybe. Um, and he's had some real trouble trying to restore those scenes. I mean, why just plaster them over? Why not go back to those original elements and restore them to what they should have been, you know? Um, I don't know. It's frustrating. I try not to think about this stuff too much because it winds yeah. me up. Well, you've, you've, spent, you've spent enough time thinking about it doing the docu <laughs> uh, filmumentaries, haven't you? But, yeah. Uh, you know, I, I, I have to admit, of, I've bought into the whole... Um, re-release i remember i was in at film school in 97 when they when they came out and uh you know it was just fascinating to go see them again and spot the differences so um you, you know yeah. i'm guilty of that so yeah yeah <laughs> i mean you know when we watch them they go they have seen those snippets now and again you know on you know, it's been on tv or whatever and it's amazing how they stand out those scenes that they redid mm. 
like that arrival on Tatooine, you kind of go, hang on, this doesn't feel right. Um, they just stand like when the jar was swinging off of the big diet. What was he called? A Ronto or something, wasn't it? Oh God, yeah, yeah, just, yeah. What? And that droid punching that other droid to the ground and stuff. You think, yeah, sadly, it was the yeah. shape of things to come, wasn't it? it Those kind of right, comedic talk. moments. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Right. Hence, then, enter Jar Jar Binks. <laughs> one of my friends says it all started when Han said "Delusions of Grandeur" in Return of the Jedi. He said Han wouldn't say that. <laughs> And Chewie certainly wouldn't make a Tarzan noise. You know? <laughs> yeah, we, we should have seen the signs a bit earlier. But saying that, having seen the, the specialised uh, editions, that is, it was wonderful to sort of see them in their original state or close to their original state. It was, uh, for me, like seeing an old friend again. Definitely. You know, as a kid, I think the first VHS I ever held was Star Wars. I just wanted to have it, you know. Um, I remember it, waiting for it to come out. Um, I used to do audio recordings off of TV um, airings of the films because that was the only way to get hold of them. And I remember getting hold of a bootleg of Star Wars from from a guy that would turn up in a van with a load of VHSs in it. You know, and you give him a quid for a couple of weeks. Um, and those that's how I saw those films. You know, kind of grainy and and down and dirty. And that's what I love about those films. They they went to places and they shot the shots there. You know, there's this sort of tangible visceral nature to it all and um that's what was sorely missed in in those you know prequels in the 90s but um that's another story <laughs> what did you think of the red letter media videos i you know i was i was so disillusioned with star wars when they came out that i quite enjoyed some of the things that you pointed out i think the style <laughs> yeah. in which they were done would, took a little bit of getting used to but he said so he did say some fantastic stuff you know um, why, why was everything so spelt out you know like your stormtrooper line you were just talking about why was there a big arrow hanging mm. over everybody going look and he's related to him and he made him you believe that he made him I would like you know and it was all this stuff you know we'd all been tantalized by these lines like um, you know Luke arriving on Dagobah saying um, it's like something out of a dream or I don't know and you say oh maybe he's been there sometime maybe when he was a baby he'd been there you know and then it's, it's like, no, C-3PO was made by Darth Vader. Oh, okay. <laughs> All right, this is where we're going, you know. I, this is what I kind of have become disillusioned about with the franchise as a whole is that, you know, C-3PO's Red Arm is now being explained in a separate comic series, for instance. Hmm. Do we need all this stuff spelled out? You know, we didn't know who Boba Fett was for 20 years. Did we need to be told where he came from necessarily? Do we need all these origin stories? You know, well, all kind of... I was more interested when I didn't know, to be perfectly honest, with exactly. Boba Fett. <laughs> exactly. and, and when they changed the voice, that was another oh. thing that wound me up big time. It undermined <laughs> it so much. You know, you build that's the great thing about that original those original films. You build up a story in your head, and you know, it's left to your imagination. Okay, did we know whether Boba Fett had survived Sarlacc and all that? Well, maybe he did, maybe he didn't, maybe this happened, maybe that happened. And if they say no, actually he did survive because we've, you know, we've, we've made a computer game that shows that he did, and that's canon or whatever. It's like, <laughs> oh, uh, oh, okay. <laughs> I don't wow. think we need to fill in these gaps. I think you know, these days children have a deficit of imagination as it is, all staring into their iPods and iPads. So I think we need to sort of leave people to make their own minds up with these things. 
Yeah, now it's all part of Star Wars Legends as they've rebranded all that expanded universe speculative stuff, haven't they? So, uh, okay, um, okay, yeah. Um, I have to ask you, uh, what did you think of, uh, you know, The Force Awakens as a obviously a massive Star Wars fan? <laughs> well, I was terribly excited because I think J.J. Abrams was a good choice um, to do the film. I really loved. Uh, what he did with the first Star Trek film, and I really liked the first hour and a bit of Super 8. I thought that was, you know, spot-on Spielbergian type stuff. Um, so I was looking very much forward to it, and I went to the cinema in Leicester Square, biggest screen, I think, um, in that area in London, I think, 3D. Unfortunately, I'm not a big fan of 3D, but it was only in 3D. So I went along with a few of my mates. We were all in our late 30s to early 40s. When the crawl came up, first line comes up, Luke is missing. I thought, oh, yes, I'm in for the ride here, you know. <laughs> um, and I had, a, I had a good time. At the end of it, I went, yeah, yeah, I like that. Yeah, I thought that was pretty good. And then we went to the pub afterwards and kind of picked it apart. That You know, they'd used the same sort of narrative structure as the original movie. And another of my friends was saying, how dare he come in and do that to our characters? And by the end of the day, I was a bit like, oh, maybe it wasn't that good. And then what I did a couple of days later, or maybe it was the following day, I took my two um, elder daughters to see it, and they absolutely loved it. <laughs> watching them love it and watching them enjoy the new characters, particularly Ray, of course, because I don't think they'd seen... Um, they, did, they always thought Star Wars was for boys, you know, and they'd finally, they're finally getting their films, you know, and I can watch, enjoy it vicariously. Um, through them and you know we came out of the cinema and they were jumping around and talking about this scene and that scene and this bit and that bit and I said well why don't we go to the Disney store and you can pick an action figure each and they were starting to dance down the high street <laughs> no, they, they were so happy about it so that for me was the most enjoyable part of it and you know I've I've kind of bought into the whole thing I've been reading about some of the theories about who Ray is and all that and I, I you know I've I kind of felt like the first time I saw it with my mates this isn't for me, this is for the next generation. And I've, particularly when I saw it with my girls, I thought that even more. So I've kind of handed it over almost. I've done my thing. I've, I've got my films. I've got my three films. I've made my three films about those three films. And now this is for like, you know, the new generation to, to enjoy. Um, I'm really looking forward to seeing what um, episode eight turns out like. Um, you know, we've got an interesting director. And... Um, you know, shooting right now, so it's exciting times. No, absolutely. Yeah. What yeah, did you I, 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 well, I just need to grow up. Unfortunately, I, I haven't, <laughs> I haven't reached yet the handing it over to the next generation. I'm still, you know, I'm still channel, channeling the inner um, six-year-old or whatever. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, don't get me wrong. There's still a part of me doing that as well. Let's face it. You know, um, but. Um, no, definitely, um, definitely great to see my kids, you know, talking about it in the playground and pretending to be the characters. And, you know, my daughter spent her, birth her Christmas money on a Ray outfit and started doing, you know, backflips around the room. <laughs> <laughs> She'll be beating you up with a stick next. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, I really enjoyed it. I mean, I went, went to see it three times over Christmas. So, mm. uh, yeah, I, I really enjoyed it. And, um i'm looking forward to what they do next um, mm. um yeah i do understand it. it's very similar to a new hope but um i'm just hoping this that was just a way to sort of say to the fans that it's in safe hands mm. we, we've introduced these new characters 
you love them so we're now gonna send them off and have their own adventures and the next one won't be empire yeah Mm. yeah yeah Yeah. you know it's been really difficult in my house since it was released because we've got the new baby my wife um has been unable to go and see the film Uh, and she's a fan of of the star wars films well she's married to me so she has to be Uh, (laughs) but we've been a spoiler free household since december the what was it 17th um there's been several occasions where she's nearly managed to see it but then the baby's been poorly or whatever you know so um it's been difficult because yeah we've been completely spoiler free in the house um (laughs) it'll only be a matter of time before it's all blown though i'm sure yeah well the the blu-ray be out um they're they're saying april yeah Yeah. i I pre-ordered it i think the week after i saw the film (laughs) so yeah the inner six-year-old is still there (laughs) (laughs) yeah absolutely cool excellent I think that's a good place to to end this uh, interview. So um, we um, at the end of uh, our podcast, we always uh, talk about the best place to sort of find our work. So uh, Jamie, where's the best uh, best place to go and find your work? Um, you can go to filmumentaries.com. If you can't spell it, you can just type in Jamie Benning uh, and Star Wars, and I'm sure it will come up. Um, I'm also on Vimeo. There's a filmumentaries channel there, and also at Jamie SWB on Twitter as well. There's Facebook groups. I've got it all covered. <laughs> oh, well done, you. That's good. Yeah. Well, I must admit, if anybody, you know, any of our regular listeners or whatever uh, haven't seen these, um, you, you know, I, I, I for one, highly recommend them if you're a, if you're you're sort of true film geeks or fans of these films or just interested in more about how they're made that that isn't you know generally available then then you know check these out there's so you've got um star wars begins building empire returning to the jedi raiding the last ark and inside jaws that's right isn't it yeah that is right yeah and a few little short ones that kind of then focus in on particular characters in fact next week i'm releasing a little one about yoda because oh, awesome. I interviewed um, Dave Barkley, who was one of the original puppeteers. Oh, that's fantastic. Okay, I'll be tuned in for that. <laughs> Listen, I really appreciate your enthusiasm and support as well, because, you know, without people like you telling me that you're enjoying it, I don't know if people are enjoying it. So it's always great to talk to people who are into the same sort of stuff and are enjoying, uh, you know, enjoying what I'm putting out there. So I really appreciate you asking me on. Oh, no, we're, you're, you're very welcome. Um, we we enjoy talking to other filmmakers and uh, this just gives us an opportunity to to sort of share those conversations with other people yeah no delighted to be able to talk to you about this stuff awesome thanks uh so keith where can we find your work okay uh if you go to youtube and put in british isles i'll spell e-y-l-e-s as in my last name uh there are six short films that i wrote produced and directed for your viewing pleasure (laughs) <laughs> and as always you can find my work at independentrunnings.com uh, you can listen to us on iTunes, Mixcloud, Stitcher and uh, on YouTube and uh, f- do follow us on our Facebook and Twitter just search um, uh, Movie Heaven, Movie Hell and uh, also uh, if you're on iTunes and Stitcher please uh, leave us a review and a rating so uh, yes love. Uh, Thank you uh, for listening and uh, join us again next week.